up with some prayer and we'll dive in. Father God, we just uh, come before you now and ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears to your word. Help me as a vessel to communicate well your word, to challenge and uh, encourage us this morning. I love you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, as most of you know, I'm a, I'm a parent. And I always, you know, when I'm writing sermons, I'm always trying to come up with intros that have generally nothing to do with parents and then or parenting, but it ends up always coming back around to that. So that's how it goes, I guess, being a parent. Um, and as a parent, I've only been a parent for six years, and there's a couple things that I've noticed so far about kids. It's kind of a good and a bad, right? And so... The first thing I noticed is that kids know where to go when they're in pain. They know who to run to. And who is that? That's, that's mommy, right? One, they're not going to run to me because I'll be honest with you, I'm not the most compassionate person in the world, and I'm, I'm assuming most dads can relate to that. It's, you know, kid falls down, busts his knee up, and you're just like, just walk it off, man. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll get over it. You'll be good. And hence why they know not to run to daddy but to mommy because mommies are very comforting. Right? And so that's one thing I noticed about kids. And then the other thing I noticed, and this is probably the bad thing, I guess, um, is that when kids are really little, they see the world in one specific way. How can this person give me what I want? Does that make sense? Um, they're little enough to where they only look at their mommy as a, and I believe I've said this before, uh, as a milk-producing rocking chair. That's it. That's, that's all that a mommy is at that point in their life. Uh, the beautiful thing is, though, is as they grow up, they begin to develop a relationship with their parents, and it gets past that eventually. But it ain't like that at the start. At the start, it's very, you know, what can I get out of mommy and daddy? How can they meet my needs me, 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 right? And, and so as we dive into this psalm this morning, um, we're going to be in Psalm 63. Uh, if you guys have Bibles, you can open up to them. And before I dive into the psalm, I wanted to give you guys a little, little background into uh, what was going on at the time of the writing of this psalm. Um, it was written by David. You can see right at the beginning, it says, A Psalm of David. And it says, When he was in the wilderness in Judah. And so um, a lot of scholars debated about like what time period this was written in. Um, uh, some like to think that maybe it was during the time when he was being pursued by Saul. Uh, this was before he was king, and he was in the wilderness, and he was hiding, and he was afraid. And um, But I believe, and some other far more scholarly folks than I do, believe that it was a different time in this period, because there's a verse right at the end of the psalm that says, but the king shall rejoice in God, and he's referring to himself as king. Therefore, it, I kind of came to the conclusion, and multiple scholars have, it was actually during a time when David was king, and his son Absalom had staged a coup and tried to take over the throne, and in the midst of that, David flees his kingdom, and he runs into the wilderness, and he's running and being pursued by people who want to kill him, uh, which is the second time that's happened to him. And, I, and so I believe that's 
the background for the psalm when he was writing it. And it's important this morning when we look at this psalm to kind of understand what David was going through when he wrote it because he had just been betrayed by his own son. His son tried to kill him and take the throne from him. And he was hurting. And he was in a lot of pain. And he was probably confused. And what does he do? He's in a, probably in some wet cave somewhere, and he pens this psalm. And so what we're going to look at this morning is how David responds to pain and suffering in his life. What does he do? What does he go to? Who does he run to? And then I'm hoping that through that we can be encouraged to um, kind of see the example that he is and we can learn to do this ourselves. And so I wanted to read the whole psalm and then we're just going to walk through it. It's uh, Psalm 63. It says this. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. And I know that the, I know it's like this really beautiful, crazy, and then right at the end it gets kind of violent. I'll explain that when we get to it. I always just like to point that out. I'm like, man, David, that psalm ends very Violently, but, and we'll get to that. So to begin with, remember, we're looking at David. We're remembering what he's going through right now, that he's, he's been betrayed. He's being pursued. People want to kill and hurt him, and he's running for his life, and he pins down this psalm. And so uh, the first verse is very important, just the first phrase, Oh, God, you are my God. See, David isn't seeking satisfaction in something. He's not looking for God, a God. He's not um, a seeker. He has found God. He knows who he is. He's in a relationship with him. He is in a covenant with him. And he's acknowledging that right at the offset. He's acknowledging that right at the beginning. He's saying, God, you are my God. There's a personal relationship to that. And so as we go through this, I, I want to ask questions of you and of me. Um, when you hear this, oh, God, you are my God. Can you relate to that in the sense where can you say that with confidence? Do you believe in God? Is he your God or is church just what you do on Sundays? Do you have a personal and intimate relationship with him where you're in trouble, you're hurting and in pain, you can run to God and say, oh God, you are my God. 
Can you do that this morning? And that's, and, and that's what David did, right? He comes in. He's right off the offset. He's acknowledging God is his God. He's, he's fleeing. He's being chased in the wilderness. He's been tra- betrayed by his son. And he runs to the Lord. And he says, God, you are my God. He's in a relationship with him. And then the next part he goes, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Um, He's longing for God, too. So he doesn't just see God and acknowledge him as my God. He's running to him. He's longing for him. He's not running towards his intellect. He's not running towards his understanding. He's not going after the things of the world to find satisfaction when he's suffering. He's running towards the Lord and he's longing for him. He's, he's essentially going, I am thirsty and I am hungry and I need the Lord. He needs him like water. Verse 2 says this. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. And in these next few verses, what uh, David is doing is he's remembering and he's responding to what he's remembering. So you remember that he's in a dark place. He's suffering. He's hurting. He's going through uh, a trying time in his life. And he remembers, Lord, I've seen you in the sanctuary I have worshipped you in the congregation, and I have beholded your power and your glory. Uh, when I think about this, I think of uh, it, when we're suffering, it's always good to remember better times. Or more, uh, more specific to the actual text here, it's always better to remember times when we've experienced the goodness and glory of God in the past. Um, when I was uh, right out of high school... I went to um, I went to MWSB, and uh, we took a really long hike one day, and we hiked to the top of this mountain. And I was like, I was on top of a mountain. It was like July. There was snow. It was beautiful. And and that was a moment where I feel like I beholded the power of God because it was like I can see everything from here. God, look at your creation. Look at your goodness. And so the encouragement from this this verse for us this morning is that when you're going through trying times, sometimes we need to look back to times when we've had experiences with God where we've been reminded and we can see where he's been good to us. There was another time for me, the same year actually, there was an Easter service and I was, uh, it was like an Easter worship service and we were just singing these worship songs and um, I've never had an experience like this in my life before or even after since then where I just, I weeped and I wailed and I cried and I cried because finally something snapped in my head and I was like, God, you are so good. You are so good and you are so real and you're so tangible and I feel your presence. And, and I always look back to that because, I mean, I'll be honest, we don't feel like that all the time. And so God gives us those experiences so that we can look back and remember him and see him as good and glorious when we're suffering in the dry spot now. 
And I believe that's what David is communicating here. He's saying, I have beheld you. I have experienced your power and glory in the sanctuary, Lord. The next verse. So I have... Nope, that's verse 2. Verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this verse before, but I remember the first time I heard it, it floored me. Think about it. For your steadfast love is better than life. Life. What he's saying is, is Lord, your steadfast love is better than holding my wife. Your steadfast love is better than breathing air. Your steadfast love is better than seeing a glorious scene on a mountaintop. Your steadfast love is better than watching your kids grow up and learn new things. He's saying your steadfast love is better than all of that. And something I had to ask myself, and maybe I want to ask you, is do you believe that? That's something that just floored me. It's like, do I believe that God's steadfast love is better than life itself? Because if I'm honest, most of the time I, I don't. I want the life. I want the material things. I want the latest iPhone. I want... Right? And we don't really consider God's steadfast love being better than life. And he's making this statement and then he's responding to it. He, he believes it. He says it. Your steadfast love is better than life. And he responds and he says, with my lips, I will praise you. With my lips, I will praise your name, Lord, because you are better. I am hurting right now. I have just been betrayed by my son and it's it stinks. I was going to say sucks, but I'm not going to say that this time. And it stinks. Thanks. Appreciate that. And he's going through a hard time. And what does he say? Lord, your love has been such an experience for me that I know that it's better than life. I can trust you. And I can praise your name in response to my suffering. He responds, and then he goes, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands, and my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. There's a really cool thing going on here, I believe, in verses 4 and 5, and I literally just caught it this morning, and I'm glad I did. Um, He's saying... He's praising God with his lips. He's saying, I'm going to live my life for you, Lord. I want to bless you. I want to do things that apply to your will. I want to be you. I want to please you. I want my life to be a blessing for you, Lord. And when I do that, my soul will be satisfied. My soul will be satisfied like sitting down and enjoying a delicious filet mignon with the Parmesan-crusted shrimp on the side with a little asparagus and steamed carrots, with a little butter and some pepper and salt. Mmm. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds good. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, even though I'm going through this hurt, even though I'm going through this suffering, I will still bless you, Lord. I will still cling to you. I will still hold fast to what you have told me to do and commanded of me, and I'll be satisfied in that. Are you the type of person who in your suffering runs to the Lord, wants to bless him, wants to uh, please him, not to please him so he'll love me because he already does. Look at the gospel. Jesus Christ came and died 
and rose from the dead to save you from your sins, to show you his love for you. And his command is in response to live your life for him. And are we doing that this morning? Are we the type of people when we hurt, we remember Christ's goodness to us, and we want to bless him because of it, even though we're confused about what's going on in our lives? Are we the type of people who do that this morning? Where we respond with worship and we respond with saying, Lord, even though I'm hurting right now, I will bless you. I will seek to please you with everything I do. And Lord, help me to do that, right? Because let's be honest, we, like, we're not going to do this perfectly, right? I don't know how many days I have where I'm just like, you know, just literally cussing God out because I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing to me? And I always eventually try to come back around and be like, okay, I want to trust you, God. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you and help me to trust you. It's like that passage in Mark where uh, I'm blanking on the story right now, but the guy's, I think that the guy's daughter was sick and he was like, Lord, I believe that you can heal him, but help my unbelief. What an honest statement that was. I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to believe you. Help me to believe you more. And that's kind of what we need to do this morning as we look at this psalm. We're responding with worship as David is. He acknowledges his need of God, and he worships him, and he gives his life to him. Verse 6, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. There's a beautiful thing going on here. When it's nighttime, we're vulnerable. When we're in the dark, we can't see what's going on in the dark, right? We're vulnerable. We're, we're uh, well, that's the only word I can come up with. We're vulnerable. And because of that, God, or David is acknowledging here. He's going, I will meditate and think on you even in the nighttime when I don't know what's going on. I'm scared. I'm alone. And I will, I will think and consider your ways, Lord. My encouragement is for us to do the same. Because maybe we're not physically in the dark, but maybe we're spiritually in the dark. Maybe we're confused about a situation that's going on in our lives right now, and we don't know what to make of it. Uh, marriage is hard. Kids are disobedient. All my tractors are broken. Whatever it might be. We're confused and angry. Are we running and seeking after the Lord? It's like the, the things that kids are good at is what we need to do. Right? Kids are good at run into mommy when they're scared. And we need to learn to do the same. We need to run to the Lord when we're scared. We need to depend on him when we're scared. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Again, he's remembering that God is his help. He's worshiping God, and he's saying, you have been my help. In the past, Lord, you have always come through. I can look back to situations in my life and, and in the moment I was like, what is going on? But now, when I look back, I see it and I praise God for it. You have always been my help, Lord. You were always there to protect me. You were always there for me. Help me to remember that now, even though I don't see it. I don't see it, but I have seen it and I need to remember that and bless your name. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. God is our protector. He upholds us. 
He takes care of us. And this morning, we need to remember that. He is writing this, it's half lament, half worship psalm, right? He's worshiping God, though he's also lamenting and in pain and suffering. And he's being real, and he's saying, Lord, my soul clings to you. I need you. I can't go on without you. And you will uphold me. Now we get to the violent portion of the text, verses 9 and 10 and 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. This is violent. Here's what David's saying. David is saying, because he has enemies coming after him. He has people who are seeking to destroy him. And this is what he's not saying. He's not saying, I'm going to go grab a sword, find those guys, and their corpses are going to be the food for jackals when I get done with them. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, you will seek out my justice. God is a God of victory. And what he's saying here is at the end of it all, God will be victorious. God gets the judgment. God gets the justice. He's not self-righteously proclaiming that I'm going to go out there and do it myself. Again, he's trusting in the Lord to do it for him because God is the ultimate judge and the executioner, honestly. And here's how we can relate. Um, Most of us don't have physical enemies that are seeking out to literally kill us this day, right? But we do have enemies. We have ourselves first. Usually our biggest enemy is ourselves. No, God isn't our enemies, but close, Mike. Thank you. Um, (laughs) We are our own worst enemies. You know, I heard a fun saying where someone was like, you know, you're having a bad day wherever you go, there you are. You can't get away from yourself. And so we do have enemies. We have ourselves. We have our sinful desires. We have our flesh. We have that side of us that really likes to sin because it feels good. And God will have that victory. He will overcome that sin for us. He actually ultimately overcame that sin for us in Christ. Christ took upon the wrath that we deserved on himself so that we could be rid of our sin. And though we still battle with it today, in the end, God will have ultimate victory. Amen? Amen. And so we can rejoice in God and realize that the victory is his, that even though we have enemies, though we're suffering, though we're going through hardship, God will ultimately have the victory. And we don't need to worry about it. You know, if someone has wronged you, there will be justice in the end. And it won't be us that takes care of it. It'll be God. And we can rejoice in that. So, Here's the biggest point I want you guys to get. Here's the biggest challenge of this psalm. And I'm ending early, as I always do. But I did that on purpose this time, and you'll see why in a second. Here's the biggest point I want you guys to get. We all go through suffering times. We all go through trials. We all go through things that are confusing and hellish, and we don't know what to do with them. 
Be the kid who runs to the Lord. Seek out God. He is our rest. And he will give us satisfaction. We will be satisfied in the Lord. You will not be satisfied by booze. You will not be satisfied by lustful things. You will not be satisfied in your family. You will not be satisfied in your material possessions. It won't work. Only God can be your ultimate satisfaction. So run to him in your pain instead of to to the worldly things. And the other challenge this morning is if you notice throughout this entire psalm, God's one focus is on, or sorry, David's one focus is on God. He's not focused on what God can get for him. He's focused on God himself. He's worshiping God because God is God. He's not worshiping God so that I can get something out of it. A part of maturing as a Christian, friends, is getting out of the stage where we only look at God as a means to an end. Is that how you look at him? Are you the type of person who looks at God and I believe in God because he gives me peace? Are you the type of person that says, I believe in God because that's what my mommy told me to do? Are you the type of person who says, I believe in God because of what I can get out of it? Or are you the type of person who wants and longs for God himself? That's what he wants. That's, it's a relationship. You know, like, when I first got married... Honestly, I don't know if I really understood what love was and sacrifice. And I don't, I don't really think I actually knew my wife that well. But as we have grown and as we have matured, my love for her has deepened. And now I just, I just want to hang out with my wife. She's awesome. I love her. And that's the same with the Lord. As you grow in your relationship with the Lord, you should be growing and longing and becoming like David and being the type of person who's like, I just, I just need God. I just need to lean on him today. I just need to run to him today. I don't need the things of the world anymore. They have grown dull and rusty and pointless. But God, no, he's forever, and I need him. Are you that type of person today? Do you run to the Lord, and do you find your satisfaction in him for him, for his sake? Um, I'm going to ask Rebecca to come back up. and um, I just want to challenge you guys to throw away your distractions for a few minutes. And I just want to challenge you guys to worship God this morning. Don't worry about the kids downstairs. Don't worry about, i got to go to the store and do this afterwards. i got to go back to the farm and warm up my tractor. Don't worry about any of that right now. Set that aside and worship God this morning. Let's do it.